0: Eagles Entertainment.
1: Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles.
2: Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown!
0: You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy.
1: That's right, the week, and we're getting you ready for Eagles Chiefs as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 359. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennel, where we talk a little bit about our final thoughts from the film and the Eagles' loss to the Cowboys before going deeper into Sunday's big game against the Kansas City Chiefs. After Chalk Talk, we'll transition to Scouting Report, where we focus in on one of Five new starting offensive linemen for the Kansas City Chiefs. That will be right tackle Lucas Niang. What will he bring to the field in this matchup? And we'll break him down uh, in that segment. Then to close out the show in faux focus, I chat with a guy who knows this Chiefs team very well, and that's Nick Jacobs from the Fourth and One podcast. I wanted to catch up with Nick just to get his viewpoint of this matchup, and he provides outstanding analysis of that team. Excited for you all to get his thoughts on this game on Sunday. Before we get there, just a couple of quick, quick reminders. Number one, Make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts, throw us a rating, throw us a review. If you've got a question about this Eagles team or about the NFL, anything in general, jump on, leave us a question, we will answer it. And it's also the best way to throw us your support. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that lately. And then also, make sure you go check out Ben and myself over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're breaking all the top prospects down uh, each and every week. So whoever you want to focus on for next spring's NFL draft, and right now for the college football season, what are we going into? Week five in college football. That is the show to go and get all of your hits there in college football. We're talking about all the top players each and every week with a bunch of guests. Uh, Really love putting that show together twice weekly over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. You can find that wherever podcasts can be found. That said, let's get this show rolling. Excited to talk Eagles Chiefs. We're going to start it off with Chalk Talk.
0: Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk.
1: All right, well, let's keep things rolling here with Chalk Talk as I welcome in my buddy Ben Fennel to talk about uh, this Eagles matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs in Week Four. Ben, what's shaking?
3: Hey, what's going on? Yeah, it's uh, exciting to be uh, looking at another Andy Reid return to Philadelphia. Two teams on the uh, two-game losing streak, and we'll see uh, who can end up one and three in that two and two record, isn't it? Nearly as bad. This is a huge kind of uh, turning point in the season, in my opinion, for these teams.
1: Definitely rolls off the tongue a little bit different. Two sure. and two
3: has a much better vibe around the building than one and three. We've right. been in each scenario and I'm telling you, one and three, you think it's doom and gloom. Two and two, you're on the up and up. You're 500. You know, you, it's optimistic. Um, we've been through both experiences and I'd much rather the two and two. So uh, let's get a W this Sunday.
1: No question. All right. Well, let's uh, let's first before we kind of get into this Chiefs uh, team and the outlook there. Let's talk about what we put together this week for Eagles game plan and really just kind of looking at this Eagles offense. And again, when we put the show together, it's a little bit of both right where we are looking both backwards at the most recent game and then frontwards looking at this matchup. And it was interesting just kind of talking through what do we focus on with this Eagles offense? We t- we talked about the Chiefs defense and the, the ball hawking mentality of Tyron Matthew, and it's like, all right, well, what do we talk about coming off of that? And obviously the pass game, just inconsistent, could not get into a rhythm against the Dallas Cowboys, a number of three and outs. We saw a couple of th- those interceptions from Jalen Hurts, some breakdowns uh, across the board, the penalties. He couldn't really get into a rhythm for, from a pass game standpoint. So, all right, let's take a look at some of one of these run plays. And I thought you made a great point, just kind of looking at uh, the the way that the Eagles were able to move the ball on the ground. Uh, I think it's an interesting way to kind of look at this game here against the Kansas City Chiefs as a way to kind of negate what they do offensively as well.
3: Yeah, well, the Chiefs, uh, you know, right now on defense are having some issues in the front seven stopping the run and having some issues uh, with coverage, particularly up their pressure scheme. So I don't know what Nick Sirianni, you know, would think. Uh, as far as philosophically going into the game, on which area you want to attack, I would always hope to see more balance in an offensive system. I'm a balanced guy. I'm a run-first type of offensive approach. So, anytime I see that that lack of commitment to the run game, I want to see more of it. So, um, obviously, they didn't commit to it as much as Sirianni would have liked for a variety of reasons: the game planning, RPOs, things like that.
1: Um, so, next week's always an opportunity to get it corrected. All right. Let's look at what we talked about here with this Eagles defense. And a lot of it, uh, look, whenever you try and come up with a segment for the Chiefs offense, there's a lot of different ways that we could have gone there, right? I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Patrick Mahomes, his ability to create plays outside of structure. You've got the vertical pass game with Tyree Kill. How do they use Travis Kelsey? But I feel like one underplayed element of that is just how good they are schematically from just attacking coverages. And the Eagles are primarily zone-based defense. So what are, what are the Chiefs going to try and do to attack the Eagles in their split safety looks and playing cover four, playing cover two? What are they going to try and do to attack that? Because you know Andy Reid is going to dial up some of those past concepts to attack the Eagles' coverages. Now it will be up to the Eagles to try and stop that.
3: Yeah, you know, he does a great job of isolating matchups within those zones and getting the balls to his playmakers and letting them take advantage of the space in zones and the yards after catch elements. He loves uh, incorporating routes with two and three routes through zones uh, where you overload zones and really put zone defenders in a conflict. But he's really good at attacking everything defenses do. So zone coverage, man coverage, hybrid coverage. Andy Reid's going to find the weakness, and he has a stable of playmakers, a stable of speed, and a a point-and-shoot quarterback that can make all the throws, in structure, out of structure. It's overwhelming, but you have to do something to limit them, something to tie one of their hands behind their back, something to take away an aspect of the offense. If you allow their run game to start clicking – then the play pass, then the RPOs, then it's just open season with Andy Reid. So you have to do something to take them away, particularly on early downs. And then hopefully you could be aggressive and force them into a mistake or two, like the Chargers did last week with turnovers on the first three drives.
1: And that's the the beauty of it. You and I talked about how interesting it was to watch back the, the last few games of this Chiefs offense. You go last week against the Chargers and Brandon Staley, Brandon Staley, primarily known for being a split safety defense, a lot of zone coverage. What do they do? They come out, they play a bunch of man, and they pressure. And then you look the week before against Baltimore, Don Martindale, known as a lot of man coverage, heavy pressure. They're going to try and attack you a lot of different ways. He he went he flipped it on his head, too, and played a lot of zone coverage. It played a little bit softer. It didn't blitz as often. And, and so it's kind of interesting that that was the approach of these two defense coordinators. That doesn't mean that that's what you should do when you're going up against the Chiefs, but it's interesting how the, both those guys kind of flipped the script in terms of their approach. And they both walked away with, with victories.
3: And, you know, not to say that it were, they were defensive, stalwarting performances. They each allowed 400 yards to the Chiefs. Chiefs are still moving the ball, and I think that's the thing people are looking at and saying – chiefs one and two back-to-back losses what's wrong with the chiefs what's wrong with their offense i got news for you nothing okay so they're going to turn the ball over they've had a couple poor instances and plays at critical situations of games um, but they're still moving the ball they're still explosive and they're still their own worst enemy with the turnovers and that kind of towing the line of in structure of structure is it too much kind of fast break football and not enough polished, kind of disciplined football. We've seen them successful at both, but it's kind of uh, reared its ugly head the past two weeks with them.
1: You know, one thing I did this week, uh, Ben, just as kind of like a refresher, I went back and re-listened to a, one of our podcasts that we did um, earlier this off-season. I think it was back in like January, before or after the Super Bowl. Uh, talking about Travis, where we focused in on Travis Kelsey. He set the record for tight end receptions uh, in a single season last year. So what was it that that, allowed him to get open? And it was just kind of interesting, just going through some of our big takeaways. Like Travis Kelsey, not necessarily a speedster down the seam. So how does he get open? Well, they're outstanding schematically. He's a great route runner. He's got great mental processing and awareness and feel. And he's also strong enough to play through contact mid-route. And I remember one of the big numbers that stood out to us Hit 84 uncontested catches where the ball's on him and there's nobody around him. And it's like, how does that happen for one of the best players in the NFL? Uh, 84 catches where nobody is around him in space. Uh, Just a a really interesting look back at his production from a year ago. And that's kind of thing still carries over in this offense.
3: Yeah, he really is a, uh, you know, it's a expose on a beautiful marriage between talent and scheme because I think it's equal parts of Andy Reed finding manufactured touches for him. And then Travis Kelsey separating and winning for himself. But the interesting thing is he only had six downfield receptions last year, over 15 yards down the field for a target. Yeah, That's the same as Mike Gasicki and some other guys around the league where you'd be like Mike Kosicki, Travis Kelsey, that's not really the same class. I think tight end speed is one of the most overrated things. And Travis Kelsey, people think athletic, speedy, tight end he doesn't really use that speed in a vertical sense to climb on linebackers and safeties down the field and beat them over the top. He is so savvy at the top of routes, his balance, his burst, getting in and out of breaks, and catches absolutely everything. And it's nice to have an accurate quarterback that throws fastballs right where you want them as a tight end. That's everything, not having to make too many pluck catches around your ankles and outside your frame. But um, the other thing is last year at 136 catches, 109 of those for were under three seconds, right? So a lot of that's happening within structure. He isn't the downfield shot play guy, and he really isn't the go-to target in scramble drills with Mahomes. He kind of looks for his play within structure. And if it's not there, that's kind of it for him. Uh, but he catches everything. And it's a really interesting part in how he's using the offense and how Andy Reed helps him get open and how he helps himself get open, but he doesn't, just climb vertically and win down the field and is this athletic, speedy tight end. He's much more savvy than people think.
1: Uh, I love that. And I, as you mentioned, too, like he never puts the ball on the ground. That was one of the other numbers you had uh, in that podcast. Two drops amongst all those. Tar- I mean, hundreds of targets, two drops, just insane efficiency there. That's for what I mean, Fran, about like
3: when I say a tight end or I'm scouting a prospect at a college or a slot receiver and saying quarterback's best friend. That's what I mean. Being a reliable target, catching the errant balls, catching what we call the junk balls. Sometimes you got to go low or behind you or over the middle. He is as reliable a receiving target, running backs, tight ends, receivers, as there is in this league. And that's the through and through definition of a quarterback's best friend.
1: Yeah, it's something that we talk about a lot. And, and just what, just kind of spinning that forward to this week, what does that mean for the Eagles? And you know, we talked about this before the Atlanta game with Kyle Pitts. We talked about this before the San Francisco game with uh, with George Kittle. The Eagles play a ton of zone defense. That's what, they, what they've been through three weeks. So it's not going to be necessarily a, oh, who's going to match up on Travis Kelsey it's going to come down to everybody as a group that whole back seven you've got to be very aware of where he is and everybody just doing your job uh, on the back end and I guess that the last point I want to talk about with you with their offense here in this discussion is just any other things from a tactical standpoint that stand out to you when you watch this Chiefs offense I mean so much motion all the bunches all the screen game a big part of it but uh, and you when you look at this Chiefs offense what is their identity in your mind
3: Well, I always, I mean, the first thing I write down on red on the Chiefs report is the the marriage of talent and scheme. So while you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes and a lot of A-level talent, they're the highest usage of RPOs, bunches, motions, things like that, that are schematic elements to help move the ball down the field. So the talent is the players. Those are all scheme aspects. And it's the marriage of the two. Don't just ask your A-level talent to go win. Help them win. And that's what I mean by marriage of talent and scheme. And that's the most dangerous thing in the NFL is to have Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and a Matt LaFleur designing that offense and helping it tick. And I think that's what you get with the Chiefs. And everyone wants to model the Mahomes, Andy Reid, and all the weapons kind of formula. I think the other thing is the O-line's new this year. They're younger. They're getting better. Now we can go back to the screen game and Fran, is there a better designer and not just designer play caller of screens? Andy Reid knows not just how to design them when to call them and seems to always hit them at the right moment, whether that was in Philly 15 years ago, or, you know, with the chiefs over the last five years and the screen game, Fran it's people other than Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill. And that makes me sit up in my chair. Cause that is dangerous. Just when you want to key and attack the two main targets, all of a sudden there's a flash fake or a screen fake to Tyree Kill, and you're hitting Clyde Edwards-Helaire Edward for a touchdown on a screen, like they did what last week against the Chargers. Yep. Or you know, a fake pass to Travis Kelsey and a 20-yard screen to Blake Bell, like they did in week two against the Ravens. The fact that you could set up the other players on the offense. My hands are in the air. Paper's in the air. I don't know what to do because then you have Nicole Hardman and uh, next thing you know, Demarcus Robinson catches three touchdown passes one week or Sammy Watkins or whatever other role players they have back there. Just a really fun offense to watch.
1: You know, it's just I find it so interesting because we, we have these conversations all the time, kind of big picture, talking about the game, talking about both sides of the ball, offense, defense. And uh, last fall, as Brandon Staley's defense was getting really established with the Rams and everyone kind of realized like, oh, wow, like they're doing some special stuff over there. Uh, Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for the Athletic, jumped on uh, with Robert Mays over at the Athletic Football Show. And the analogy that she made was, look, this defense in L.A., you have two big planets like where you've got Aaron Donald. And you've got Jalen Ramsey and you have the two orbits around those two planets. And like everything else kind of works around them. And I almost look at this Chiefs offense the same way where it's like, all right, like you've got a movement piece in Tyree Kill who can be a vertical and horizontal stretch player. And then you've got the guy that cuts through that. With Travis Kelsey and everything that kind of works around with him both run game and pass game and obviously Mahomes as the trigger man around that uh, it just makes it so difficult that's where now you've got like your little uh, your small uh, moons on the on the outer rim where now you've got me Hardman who I think he's got 13 catches so far through uh, through three games like 7 of them are on uh, those little like push passes in the jet sweep like they're, they it's not like they're creating these guys on, on deep digs and comebacks and the traditional route tree we're just finding different ways whether it's those gadgets or in the screen game like you alluded to for them to be able to get some chunk yardage
3: and i hope we're not the team that figures out josh gordon can still run let <laughs> right. let that happen in week 5 and week 6 all right <laughs> i don't know how involved he'll be but he just signed with the chiefs now that yep. he's reinstated and a reminder guys He's only thirty years old. Hope his head's on straight, and looking forward to having a rebound in his career.
1: No question. Uh, let's go real quickly over to the defense. We talked about them a little bit earlier. Uh, definitely a group that is going to live and die by the blitz. Uh, I talked about it earlier this week with Greg. When you've got that offense, you've got Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey. Uh, you feel like you can be a little bit more uh, of a risk taking unit, right? And so uh, they lead the league right now in cover zero. They lead the league in blitzing. They lead the league in press coverage. I mean, that's the identity of this defense. They're going to play press man. And we're going to send you we're going to send blitzes at you from every angle.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that wasn't always the profile of Steve Spagnola or the Chiefs defense. So interesting that they've been a little heavier pressure. And that even bled through into the preseason. He was dialing up some creative stuff, some very risky rotations in the preseason. Haven't seen the rotations as much uh, here through three weeks of the regular season, but still happy blitz and not just on third down friends. I saw some on second down. I've seen some on first and 10 Spagnola is just throttle forward and saying, go, go, go in a league where people are saying, let's be more conservative. Let's play more zone. Let's keep it in front of us. It's only a couple teams still dialing up the blitzes and playing heavy pressure, man, chiefs, Patriots, dolphins. They're pretty much riding and dying with a pressure man. And, some weeks the Dolphins can get beat 38-0 to the Bills. Some weeks they could go toe-to-toe with the Raiders and almost knock them off in overtime. It's such a high-variant defensive philosophy for today's offensive approaches. It's risky, in my opinion. But you can have some really good results, really bad
1: results, but it forces the action, and it's aggressive. And again, when you're a defensive coordinator and you look down the sideline at the other bench on game day, and it's like... You see number ten. You see number mm-hmm. one. Uh, you know. You see. Uh, you see K- Kelsey over there, and that's a little different than. All right, they got Jacoby Brissett and uh, you know Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller. Uh, a little bit different feel, and so you get that level of confidence for the uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs and for Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, look, and you've got two blue chip players over there, right? I mean, Chris Jones, one of the best uh, in the league at what he does. Obviously, making the move over to defensive end this year, but still getting those reps uh, on the interior. And it's not that he can't win off the edge. I mean, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen him get to the quarterback. We've seen him time the snap uh, and turn the corner uh, for a 315 pound defensive lineman to do it. I mean, He's an absolute Freak of nature, and then I mean Tyron Matthew is, is one of the best. And when you have that kind of ball hawking presence, who's got such great route awareness, understanding of how you're trying to attack them as a as an offense, he knows where the ball's going to be, and he's got outstanding ball skills. Maybe some of the best ball skills we've seen of a safety in the in, in modern history. So uh, I think when you have those two blue chip players, again going back to the Aaron Donald and, and Jalen Ramsey comparison, that can help you in terms of understanding what you're going to do and be allow you to be a little bit more risky. Defensively.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't want to be the week to figure out Nick Bolton's going to be a superstar in this league. Young second round pick out of Missouri. Definitely adding some more speed to the middle of that Chiefs defense. Leading the team of tackles right now. Take another week or two off here before you start uh, <laughs> taking this league uh, by storm here. But, you know, they're trying to incorporate some younger guys in the middle. Willie Gay, not quite ready, uh, but Nick Bolton's been out there quite a bit. And some other guys up front. I mean, they have Jeron Reed. Derek Nott, a really tough player. Is there a more fun backup defensive tackle tandem than Khalil Saunders and Tre'Shaun Wharton? Those are just dancing panda types. I know Khalil Saunders, the 300-pound back-flipping type from Western Illinois, really fun players out there. They're each a little squatty, but they are round, and they are heavy, and they are active. A lot of fun. You see 99, 98 out there for the Chiefs. Keep an eye on them.
1: Let's pound this back to you. Uh, I want to I give you uh, one matchup that stands out to you in this game. Is there one one-on-one battle uh, that you're going to keep, be keeping your eyes on?
3: Well, I think you teed it up there, and it's Chris Jones for a variety of reasons. Because I don't think you can get if he's playing defensive end, I don't think you can get away with blocking him with a tight end He is, you know, and that's the cat and mouse of a lot of run games. Yep. Is can you sub out a tight end block for a defensive end and allocate resources elsewhere? I don't think I'm taking those chances, but I want to attack him in the run game. He's a taller defensive end. He always has pad level issues, not to mention he has to play in space a little bit more off the edge. Lamar Jackson had a couple zone reads where he didn't look as sharp-footed. I got news for you. He's 6'6", almost 300 pounds. He's not good in space. It just is what it is. <laughs> so I want to attack him, but I'm also a little worried about him against some offensive linemen. Andre Dillard, really athletic, struggles with some power, heavy defensive ends. That's Chris Jones's game. So I think there's a lot of interesting conversations swirling around Chris Jones. What do you do with him? And then just when you account for him at defensive end, he still slides in at three tech every now and then, too. So he's a guy you got to keep your eye on and make sure he doesn't ruin the game. I think it was two years ago, maybe their Super Bowl campaign. I said he was the most disruptive player in the NFL. And Aaron Donald was healthy for 16 games that year. And I, I mean that he is so annoying because even when he doesn't get home, he is massive Fran. He is literally, so it's long. like yeah. it's like that Giants defensive line where they had Chris Canty and O.C. and you know Tuck and Strahan, and you had to throw through the trees. And they were talking about with Brady and the Super the Bowl. That's Kiwanuka. Yeah, that's him. He gets his hands up, and literally, the word I write down is annoying. He is annoying to play against because mm. just when you stone him at the line of scrimmage and he's not getting up the field, all of a sudden he's wacky an inflatable arm flowing tube man <laughs> with that six six frame and the long limbs, and he's another defensive back out there. So he is a very disruptive player. He's a little hot and cold. As we all know, in the scouting circles, he could turn it on, turn it off. But when he is hot, he can be as good as anybody.
1: Uh, another one uh, staying on that side of the ball i think another interesting matchup you look we've seen the eagles the the pass game the tight ends have been very involved we saw zach Ertz last week and dallas goddard last week uh on some big plays some of them busted coverages but when you look at this chief's defense uh number one we've seen some busts from them defensively right but the other one who are their matchup guys when they go into their base defense with a few linebackers on the field i think nick neiman uh has been their tight end matchup guy and when they go into sub Look out for Daniel Sorensen, the extra safety that will come down, and he has been a tight end matchup guy. I, I would That would be an area where I'd say, okay, can the Eagles create some big plays, create some chunks when with those two tight ends, with Dallas Goddard and with Zach Ertz uh, in this matchup? I think that's a big one I'll be watching for sure.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And Sorensen's an interesting player. In the preseason, they haven't rolled it out too much in the regular season, but go check out the two clips I put on Twitter an hour or two ago. Heavy rotations, and it's that fine line of, disguise versus disguising yourself at a position. Yep. And it's a very interesting philosophy with defenses where you don't want to show them where you're going, but are you too far away for where you have to be? And it's that whole, can we beat you to the spot? Let's see if maybe Jalen Hurts can pick up on some of that late rotation, disguise, and beat those defenders to the spots.
1: It's, a, it's a, going to be a big part uh, of this game for sure. Well, Ben, uh, one more segment with you. We're going to go now into our scouting report. We're going to look at second-year right tackle, Lu- Lucas Niang. Two. All right, Ben. Well, like I said earlier, uh, we're going to take a look here at former TCU right tackle Lucas Niang, Uh guy that was a three-year starter uh, during his time there uh, with TCU. Thoughts on him uh, overall? I mean, what we've seen so far through three games, uh, we didn't see him last year as a rookie. He was a rookie second-round pick. Uh, thoughts on, on Niang coming out of college and, and the projection so far in the NFL?
3: Well, I'm going to make an interesting reflection right now to a first-round pick in this last class. You know, Niang was a third-round pick back in 2020, so two draft classes ago. But what was the first line in Rashawn Slater's scouting report, friend? I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but Rashawn Slater, what was his first line in the scouting report? Uh, first line was he opted out of. Uh, oh, All right. Man. Well, his second line <laughs> said he handled Chase Young. Chase Young, Young. yes. And Dude, scouts, I'm so glad you
1: brought this up. Yep.
3: Scouts go right to the best competition. And the first line I have in New- Lucas Niang's yep. report is 2018 opener against Ohio State. He looked the part against Nick Bosa.
1: And, anytime and, Chase, you have, and Chase Young in that game. he, he, he Chase played Young, well yeah, with Young. him
3: oh. in there too. And anytime you have a tackle looking the part against NFL top-level talent like Bosa and Chase Young, it makes you sit up your seat and makes him put on a lot of radars. And I think that's what happened with Niang in 2018. He really looked good against Ohio State. A little bit unconventional because he's a true vertical setter. He sets straight back. Uh, Not getting a lot of width in his past sets. He's not a 45 degree pass setter, uh, but he's a straight back guy. Um, And the other interesting thing, he didn't allow a sack his final two years. He was a third round pick in 2020, but he missed nearly the back half of 2019 with the hip. And I wonder where his stock might have gone if he finished out the year. And it just is what it is. You miss half the season heading into the draft. Your buzz is dead. It just is what it is and i really feel like his buzz in combination with the injury really hurt his draft stock fran he was a guy i thought was a fringe first rounder i thought so too and was shocked he went into the third round i thought there was no way someone's going to take this guy in day two i almost forgot about him right and he went in the the third i'm like oh yeah i forgot about niang i liked him okay someone else really likes him didn't play in 2020 and all of a sudden, he's your chief starting right tackle to start 2021. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, remember Niang? He could play a little bit. Forgot about him. Um, but it's just some of my notes here I had. Uh, mostly at right tackle, he did line up on the left side on a couple tackle over on balance sets. Really easy mover, light feet, good play strength. He could run the arc against speed rushes. Fires out of his stance really strong. He's a vertical setter, but gets out of there quick. Really good technique, posture, active, independent hands, very consistent, keeps his head back, shoulders out of the fight. Good knee bend, flexible. Looks like he's got some hip snap on contact. The issue is the vertical setting stuff, you set up a little high. So That's why So pat- I want to
1: ask you about, can you just paint the picture for our listeners? When you say a vertical setter, you did a little bit earlier, but just kind of let's let's kind of dive into this. What does that look like when you see a vertical setter on film?
3: So if you could kind of just get in the motion of being an offensive tackle, let's say they were at right tackle where Lucas Niang plays for the Kansas City Chiefs and you have a defensive end kind of staggered out to your right. The, na- the name of the game for most tackles is setting at a 45 degree angle, splitting the diff- distance of the defensive end with width and depth. So that's what 45 degrees does. Gives you a little bit of width, a little bit of depth get to your spot in a pass set, and then battle the rusher, whether it's a speed rush, power rush, inside move, then you then you play ball. The vertical sets, you're not getting any width. It's just a depth. Now, it changes some of the angles for pass rushers, some of your angles of where your spot is, some of the angles as far as when you're going to then read the defensive end and battle him, but there is no width in his pass sets. So, fans listening at home, Get into a makeshift stance and say, take a set out to a 45 and then take a set straight back. The straight back is what you call vertical sets. Very common in college football, particularly from some of the spread teams like Texas Techs of the world. And, you know, some of those true and true air raid principal offenses uh, around college football. But yeah, you just don't. Where you came from. Yeah. And you you see it in college football a lot. And typically that's a conversion and something you have to change once you get to the next level. Lucas Niang is still a true vertical setter, even with the Kansas city chiefs. So it's really interesting. Their offensive line coach, I believe it's Andy heck out there uh, with the chiefs is not making him somebody he's not. And I love that because there's so many coaches that say it's my way or the highway. This is the technique. This is how it's got to be. Well, there's a lot of different shapes and sizes you get from college football. They have Orlando Brown on the left side. I got news for you. He plays different than Lucas Niang on the right side let them do what works for them. And if he likes being a vertical setter and Orlando Brown is a 45 setter, go do what works for you guys. And I like seeing that, that you're not just making them somebody they're not. So a lot going on there, a lot of conversation, but a really fun player.
1: And there's two things too. When you are that vertical setter, like you mentioned, you're not getting any width in that set. And so the landmark, that point of contact, naturally is going to be a little bit closer to the quarterback. And so you really, there's not a lot of room for error with your anchor. You have got to make sure you hold strong tops, like two steps. Like if you're giving up three or four steps, you're in the quarterback's lap every single time. And so you need to be really strong. Lucas Niang, very, very strong. Getting Uh, that width
3: then gives you that more space to cover, you know, and having more room to drop into the pocket. The vertical setting maybe cuts off the speed rush a little bit more but you're closer proximity to the quarterback for the inside moves and the power rushes. And like everything in football, vertical sets, 45 zone, man, run the ball, pass the ball, pros and cons to everything. There's no perfect way, right way, wrong way. It's what works for you. And did you do it at the right instance when you needed to? And, You know, it's it's always reflecting that back to it's chess, friend. You know, exactly. Just because you move the pawn over the king to start, or the you know the pawn over the queen to start, doesn't make you dumb or smart. There's pros and cons to each, and you always got to turn it back to it's chess. There's different ways to do it.
1: Yeah, and clearly also when you when you have that vertical set, since you're moving the point of contact further back into the pocket, now you've got more time to view the pass rusher. The pass rusher, he's he's got to throw a different, a few different steps for, at you now uh, before he's able to throw that pass rusher. I mean, you're much place.
3: less likely as well to turn your hips to the sideline, right? which is a big flaw in pass protections. You turn your hips to the sideline, it's very hard to then counter and work with an inside move. Vertical setting, you're essentially staying square with your hips and shoulders to the line of scrimmage throughout the entire down until you have to turn and run with a speed rush. So the 45 set, as I'm kind of moving around, you guys can't see me, you're already starting to turn a little bit towards the sideline. It helps you in some instances, hurts you in some instances, but it's always fun talking about what the pros and cons are with each technique
1: yeah a big strong offensive tackle not he- he's heavy footed but he's not a uh he- he's not a plotter like I- this is a guy that i think has a lot of uh, a lot of potential but still very young and inexperienced obviously uh having not played as a rookie so interesting matchup there for whoever it is that's lined up across from him. we know that we have uh you know we've seen Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, certainly Ryan Kerrigan. You're going to get some Milton Williams over there. A lot of different bodies for the Eagles defensive line being thrown at Lucas Niang. Uh, We'll see how he responds. But uh, an interesting player, nonetheless, with a a lot of true starting potential here moving forward.
3: And another sneaky matchup while we're just talking Chiefs O-line. I want to see big Trey Smith, you know, bang with Fletcher Cox a little bit.
1: Yeah, Trey Smith's been
3: looking great in the run game. He's nasty. He's a mauler. He wants to finish you. Some issues in pass protection. I thought Joey Bosa got him a little bit last week with some slants, uh, you know, uh, inside there. As he does, yeah. Yeah, and then you got Thuny on the other side, Creed Humphrey, five new offensive linemen, five completely different style of players. Uh, So it's really fun to kind of dissect, you know, the different parts on that line and who's a liability and who has a strength in certain situations.
1: Yeah, well, Ben, it's going to be a fun tape to go through on Tuesday morning. We'll be talking about it next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Thanks for joining us once again, and we will talk to you on the Journey of the Draft podcast here uh, later this week. Well, great stuff there from Ben, as always, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at BenFennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. I told you earlier that that's the best way to throw us your support as we go through the NFL season. Appreciate everybody that has left left recent comments and again if you've got a question we will answer it right here on the show that said let's wrap this episode up with some faux focus i caught up with nick jacobs to talk about the chiefs from their vantage point here going into this game let's get to that segment right now
4: what's this matchup look like from the other side it's time to find out in faux focus All
1: right, well, this week here for Faux Focus, excited to welcome in Nick Jacobs. You can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Jacob71. Check him out over on the 4th and 1 podcast. Nick, thanks so much for joining us, man, and and share some insight here on the Kansas City Chiefs.
5: Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's been a minute. Last time you and I got to chat on one of these was uh, right when you guys hired Doug Peterson. So That's right. Uh, That that worked out well for a little bit. You guys got a Super Bowl out of it. So I'd say it, it at least had its benefits for a little bit.
1: No question. So uh, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on the 2021 version of the Chiefs. Obviously coming off a two-game losing streak, Patrick Mahomes has never lost three games in a row as a starter. But looking at that side of the football, you're Andy Reid coming home to Philadelphia. What gives you the most faith uh, in your offense in this matchup? What gives you the most confidence uh, coming into this game?
5: I think more than anything else, it's obviously Patrick Mahomes is always going to give you confidence because he can make every single throw. Out on the football field, unless it's super windy, then, you know, even then he still makes some phenomenal throws. But Mahomes always gives you confidence. Having a healthy Tyreek Hill and a healthy Travis Kelsey always helps. And the offensive line is starting to gel together to where they're they're getting comfortable and they're able to – they're working with Mahomes to get the pocket – to a certain comfort level, to where Mahomes knows where he can step up and when he should, and how far the tackles are going to ride out the end. So they're starting to get in rhythm with that part of it. It's just a matter of when teams take away the potential third op, uh, take away Hel- Hel- Kelsey, uh, Kelsey and Hill, what the Chiefs have as their third option. So that'll, that'll be kind of the question mark in that end.
1: I was glad you brought up the offensive line. What, what have been your thoughts just on that group? Obviously, five new offense or five new starters uh, up front. Thoughts on just how three of them had never played it down in the NFL, obviously with the the rookie center and right guard and and then Lucas Niang over at right tackle, who we talked about earlier on the show. Uh, Just thoughts overall from your perspective on how that group has gelled so far.
5: Yeah. I mean, former Eagle Scout Brett Veach, uh, who's the general manager here now in Kansas city and has been for a couple of years. um, He's done a phenomenal job of being able to get players like Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Those were two big gets for them. And Trey Smith, he's, there's a strong possibility he's going to be a pro bowler for years to come. If he keeps playing the way he is and same thing for Creed Humphrey, they don't play like rookies. They make little mistakes here and there, but they, they play like veterans out there on the football field. There's not a lot that they really need to fix for the most part, whether it's technique or ability and things of that nature, Joe Thune, who they got or Thune, who they got from the Patriots, he does a solid job too. And then obviously, Lucas Niang, who technically was drafted last year, but since he opted out because of COVID, this is technically his rookie year. He he had a little bit, he had a learning experience with Joey Bosa last week, but he's done a solid job overall. And Orlando Brown, he's still acclimating to the Chiefs style of play because with the Ravens, he's used to more of a run style. So he's still working on getting his sets to a level to protect Mahomes' blind side.
1: How about on the defensive side with, with Steve Spagnuolo over there? Uh, very aggressive group, ton of man coverage. If you're Spags, what gives you the most confidence in your ability to come into this game uh, and get a W?
5: I uh, for I mean, I, I hope he's confident on it, and I hope he's uh, 100% like they're going to do this and that to get the win. But I think if you ask Chief fans and a lot of media members in town, there's none uh, other than having Tyron Matthew on the field and when they put Chris Jones, a defensive tackle, there's a lot of work in progress there across the board on that defense right now in terms of being able to stop the run. They did a better job against the chargers because they were playing a more traditional run style and they're fine against traditional run styles. It's when they face the Lamar Jackson read option with as fast as Lamar Jackson is, that was really, really tough for that football team. But when Chris Jones is inside a D tackle, he causes a lot of problems. You have to double team him. You have to hold him. He's one of the more disruptive interior guys outside of Aaron Donald in terms of the one-two punch in the league right now, but they've had him at defensive end a lot, and that's taken away some of what made him such a dominant uh, rushing force. So we'll see where the Chiefs line him up. And then, like I said, when they have Matthew out there, coverage is a, is significantly better than they're on as many lapses, although against the Chargers they had a handful of lapses because the Chargers went in a hurry up tempo that really caused the Chiefs defense problems and we were trying to make adjustments to some of the formations. So, I mean, the, the Chiefs, they when they're at their best, they're an aggressive attacking style. But to be that right now, their pass rush is struggling, so they have to bring various blitzes to be able to affect the quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're obviously blitzing at such a high rate right now. It hasn't always been met with success. They've given up um, some big plays so far uh, through the blitz. Interested just overall, sounding like how how you've talked about both sides of the football, what would be, if you were Andy Reid, the biggest concern, the chief concern, uh, some would say, coming into into this matchup for you?
5: I I think uh, if you're looking at it from the past two weeks, I mean, the Chiefs have had six turnovers in two weeks. It's been uncharacteristic for them. Mahomes has had a couple of interceptions where – it's the ball, the the one that everybody saw on Sunday Night Football against the Ravens when he tried to get it to Travis on a last-ditch effort. But in the past, he's been able to make those plays, and those plays have worked out. This year, it hasn't necessarily worked out for him. And, I mean, they've had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a fumble against the Ravens that people saw at the end of the game. Then he had one last week against the Chargers. So, for the offense, it's going to be holding on to the football because if they don't have those turnovers, they likely win in Baltimore – and they likely beat the Chargers comfortably. So those turnovers is really what made the difference in both those games, between them being three and zero and then being one and two. So the Chiefs are learning that that margin of error has gotten smaller than it has in years past, and they're going to have to execute at a higher level than maybe what they had to be able to kind of keep those wins at the expectation that they've had in the past. But I'd say more than anything else, it's just that's that's probably the biggest concern, and then defensively. The ability to get pressure. I mean, that front four, they really need them to be able to get pressure. Chris Jones is a high-paid player. Chris uh, Frank Clark is also a high-paid guy, but he's got a hamstring injury right now. So they're just not getting the production from their defensive line that they should with the investments that have been made.
1: Yeah, you talked about that move of Chris Jones sliding outside to play more defensive end. And he's got the tools, obviously, to be able to do it. And he's still right. – I mean, he the way he gets off the ball, uh, where he had that two-sack performance a couple weeks ago. and you, you see that ability, but he was such a force inside. So clearly one of the best defensive tackles uh, in the league. So I feel like they're a, overall a weaker group, but still high. you still have to worry about Chris Jones, uh, certainly from an Eagles standpoint, uh, when you're, whoever he's lined up against one-on-one. And I guess that will take me to my final question – is there a one-on-one matchup from a Chiefs standpoint you're looking at like, all right, like th- this could be a pivotal one that could swing this game one way or the other?
5: I would say what uh, – this may not necessarily be a player-versus-player player thing, but I would say how the Eagles' defense handles Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill because that causes the, the – the way teams have had to slow the Chiefs down this year is they're making them take everything in front of them. They're taking Hill away deep. They're they're bracketing or doubling Kelsey at times. They're doing the same thing to Hill, and they're forcing other people on the offense to beat them. And that's kind of where that comes down to. Because I could if I could tell you that a defensive player per se, like the problem is there's like eight other issues on the defense right now. So it's <laughs> not, you know, I mean, I could tell you that you know, Chris Jones is the matchup on defense that you have to watch for, but there's still uh, there's still linebackers that the Eagles can isolate in the backfield or the tight ends that they can isolate against the linebackers. So, I mean, there's plenty of options for the Eagles to be successful on the offense right now. So I would say that that's the biggest matchup What the Eagles defense is able to do against those three guys and to, do other Chiefs players step up. To make the difference. I think that's really what's going to decide. That'll decide the game. I think the Chiefs, uh, in terms of ball security, will decide it as well. And then obviously, if the Eagles are able to get the run game going, and if they're able to make some key conversions, that'll, that'll, that could keep the game very close for the Eagles and give them a chance to win the ball game. Yeah,
1: it's. I mean, we kind of look at the way that the Chargers and, and they did it in a different way, typically than what we've seen from the Chargers. But that was the idea: was uh, do enough to slow them down, capitalize on any mistakes that they make, and uh, you know, make it a, make it a close game at the end. And that seems to be a formula. You just got to be able to to execute and yeah. capitalize on that formula. Well, uh, Nick, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Make sure you go all follow Cri- uh, Nick over on Twitter at Jacobs seventy one. Nick, we'll talk to you again soon, man.
5: My pleasure. Thanks, Gus.
1: Well, great stuff there from Nick. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I mentioned Eagles game plan earlier with Ben. Well, uh, these are some clips here coming up. I've got some clips off the cutting room floor that didn't make it into the final show. Again, that's a short 30-minute show that airs on NBC10 on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So the leftovers, I make sure I squeeze them right here into the podcast. So for some analysis from Greg Cosell, Mike Quick, Ike Reese, and of course, John Clark, Here's what what, I couldn't squeeze into the show, but I kept it all for you right here on the podcast.
0: And
4: Monday night in Dallas, obviously there were some coverage issues, especially a linebacker and you're bringing in Travis Kelsey, or as they revealed, it's actually Kels or the Kelsey brothers, but how difficult of a matchup is this and how important is the coverage going to be with the linebackers? Well, it's certainly
0: a difficult matchup, and this Eagles defense have seen some of the better tight ends through the first few weeks. You got to see a young guy in Cal Pitts. I love the job they did on him in that first game in Atlanta. I mean, my goodness, George Kittle, he's probably right behind Travis Kelsey as the second best tight end in football, and I think they were able to limit him to just three or four catches, and I believe under 20 yards. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do against Travis Kelsey, but I think the defensive scheme that Jonathan Gannon likes to run will allow them to collectively as a unit sort of limit some of his touches and more importantly the explosive plays it's not just stopping travis kelsey from catching the
2: ball it's getting him on the ground once he catches the ball yeah once he catches it everybody has to rally to the ball they talk about population to the football they must have population to the football when travis kelsey has the ball in his hand and don't forget edwards a out of yeah. the backfield they'll get him the football in space he's a problem.
4: Yeah, well, he's also turned the ball over. He has fumbled the ball. So Eagles defense, what are they thinking when they
2: see those turnovers? Because Jonathan Gannon has preached stripping the football. That's what they do. And so if you watch during the preseason and all the summer, one of the things that they harp on is getting to the football. The first guy, if he doesn't get him down, that second guy has to come in and try and get the ball out. So be aware now, when you play against the Chiefs, And this is really important for Jalen Hurts. And it's also very important for Nick Sirianni as a play caller, understanding what he's going to get. You will get cover one. That's what you do want to attack. You will get cover two, but there will be a lot of disguise associated with that. And that will be on Jalen Hurts because that happens as the play begins. So he must be aware of where people are and where they're going to move to. And he certainly must be aware of Tyran Matthew. And the other thing is cover zero. You will get some of that in critical situations, particularly as you get closer to the red zone. That's where Steve Spagnuolo likes to dial up the pressure.
4: Now, Devontae Smith for the Eagles offense, wide receiver number one, only five catches for 44 yards over the last two games yeah. with 13 targets. So obviously they're growing, Jalen Hurts and Devonte Smith. What can yeah. they do to get him more involved in this offense?
2: Well, I talked about it. I think Kansas City has a personnel problem. They're not as talented as a couple of the teams that the Eagles are played, and particularly the Dallas Cowboys. You can't attack them in their secondary. With these young wide receivers, I think it's a perfect time, especially when you're able to get one-on-one situations on the outside, to allow these guys to get involved in the offense, run the football, and then get these young guys in one-on-one involved.
0: And the biggest thing that receivers, and Mike will tell you, in today's game have problems with early is bump-and-run coverage. Cornerbacks getting physical with them at the line of scrimmage. They're so used to coming off the line so freely in college, it doesn't happen in the NFL. And that's what Devontae is going to have to become accustomed in the sand is that guys are going to want to get up at the line of scrimmage and get physical with him to see if they can disrupt his timing. Talented guys getting physical, making sure that
4: whatever the timing is, they throw it off somewhat. And we didn't really see any motion with Nick Sirianni's offense in Dallas. Is this an offense that's evolving? Is it still young receivers and others trying to learn the offense and maybe holding back on some things with the offense? The biggest thing you pointed out there that it, it's an ever-evolving
0: offense, right? And the coach can only give them as much as they can handle. Now, he may try to give them a little bit more, see how they respond to it. And if the execution is well, then you'll give them a little bit more. But he can only give you what you can handle. He wants to go out there and win football games and have success, not just give you a bunch of plays to confuse everybody, including yourselves.
4: You're talking about two teams that are on two-game losing streaks here coming in here, yeah. and as I said, Patrick Mahomes has never lost three in a row in his career. This is going to be an angry, desperate Chiefs team coming in here, right? Yeah, you know what I'll say to that? It's the first time for everything. So if he hasn't <laughs> lost
0: three in a row, you play in this league long enough, you'll lose three in a row at some point. And we got to continue the turnovers, right? we got a first turnover last week versus Dallas. Kansas City has been a little careless with the football of late. we got to keep the turnover train rolling, get some extra possessions, shorten
4: that field for all. You offense. know, Andy. Andy Reid is harping on the offense, not turning it over, yeah. coming in here at Philly. All right,
1: And again, be sure to check out Eagles game plan. It goes up digitally on Fridays all across Eagles channels, or if you live in the Philadelphia area, NBC 10, 10 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks so much to Ben and to Nick and everybody for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast here with Eagles Entertainment. I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Island Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novocare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.